The Stinkin' Truth Podcast is presented by Core Water. He spent 12 years in the NFL. You can't trust a guy that gyrates his hips after he scores. Has three Super Bowl rings, made multiple Pro Bowl appearances, over 16 years of broadcasting between ESPN and Fox Sports. And that's why I'm the greatest football player and best sports analyst ever. He's a soap opera star. That's pretty, uh... I can't remember what I was supposed to say. <laughs> As a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here. And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast, the Super Bowl wrap-up show. Mike Evans, Mark Slareth, Scott the Hub producing the show. I want to thank you guys so much and thank our presenting sponsor. That's the great people over at Core Water, the one with the big blue cap, Core Water. You can find it at 7-Eleven, and I'm telling you what, this water, award-winning, crisp, clean taste, pH balance to match your body's natural hydration point and your natural balance of 7.4. Big giant suck hole. You can get a lot of water into your gullet right off the bat when you're working out and you're getting yourself in shape. I'm going to get myself in shape, Mike. I've been talking about it for two years now, but now is the time. I'm dropping 20 pounds, buddy. 20 pounds. 20 pounds? Yeah. Might, might have to lop off a leg or something, but uh, I'm going to lose the weight for crying can out loud. Can you lose 20 pounds while eating two bowls of chips? I'm I'm going. I'm not eating two bowls of chips. All right. I'm eating no chips. You will have no chips. You will have no life. <laughs> I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning. To, well, I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning sending you a snarky email, and then I went right down to the gym at, at 3 and did almost an hour of cardio. Good for you. Good for you. Were you were you burning off all your um, frustration from all the um, wise asses out there who have been uh, getting after you on social media about oh how about your boy McVeigh now? Yeah, uh, you know what that that may be some of it. That, that like that really pissed me off. A bunch of people who have never competed before. Right, I love the guy. Like, oh, all the shine's off McVeigh now. Uh, you've talked about how dynamic he is. Well, uh, but you know now, uh, maybe he's not as good a coach as we thought he was. You know, he got beat by the world's greatest coach, the greatest coach in the history of sports. Beat Sean McVeigh. Out coach Sean McVeigh. Listen, man, I'm telling you what, all you people who have never actually laid it on the line, one of my favorite lines of any song comes from the Psychedelic Furs. And, and in their song, they say, you can never win or, or win or lose if you don't run the race. Man, I tell you what, there is not one of us that's ever competed, that have put it on the line before, that haven't got our ass whipped. Part of the problem with you people and I, you know who you are, you people. Part of the problem with you people is you don't ever want to lay it on the line. So when it comes time to, to compete, when it comes time to see what you're made of, you know what you do? You tap out because you're what we like to call a pussy. That's, that's what it comes down to. So listen, there is no shame in getting your ass kicked. I've had my ass kicked plenty of times before, Mike, and, um, and that doesn't scare me. I'm not scared of it. Yeah, but it's not the idea so much that, you know, they got their ass whipped as much as there did not seem to be a a really good plan for the Rams. You know, the the Patriots, it it looked like they came out. They they stole a lot from what Vic Fangio and the Bears did in shutting down the Rams 15 to six. And there was, uh, you know, they, they didn't seem to adjust to it. The. 
really mysterious case of Todd Gurley. You know, why why he wasn't utilized more, why they didn't run the football more. I okay, I get what you're saying about the idea that, you know, sometimes you just get you get beat. But for a guy who's supposed to be such an X's and O's whiz, right. did you see him really lacking in that that category on Sunday? Here, here's what I think. I think there's a couple of things. One, the Todd Gurley thing is mysterious, and I do believe that Todd Gurley is injured. I mean, never before in my life have I ever have I ever seen like a star player. So I played with some star players like Shannon Sharp, right, or uh, Terrell Davis. We didn't take Shannon Sharp out of the game for a series. Like you, okay. So let's say you, we took Shannon Sharp out of the game for a series. And we put in Dwayne Carswell because Shannon Sharp needed a rest, or or he he tweaked his you know calf or whatever. We didn't keep him out for multiple series. We didn't say, "Hey, uh, Shannon, you go ahead and stand on the sideline for the next two, three series." Why we give Dwayne Carswell or Byron Chamberlain some run? No, you put your star in there. We didn't take out Terrell Davis for two or three series to to let. Derek Lavelle or Vaughn Hebron, you know, carry it home for us. No. You give him his blow, you give him his three or four plays, and you get his ass back in there. So there's got to be – there has got to be something going on there that we have no clue about. And i got to believe that there is, you know, a, a clean-out procedure, there's some type of knee surgery, there's something going on with Todd Gurley that we were unaware of, okay? So that's part of it. I think the thing that irritates me about the game plan aspect of what the Rams did or didn't do is I've talked to Sean McVay. I've called three games. And Sean McVay said to me, you know, it's the illusion of complexity. It's, you know, all the motions and all the shifts and all the things that we do. Truly what we are at our core is an outside zone running team. We want to go 18-19 handoff. We want to press the outside hip of the tight end, and then we want to cut it back inside, and we want to bludgeon people. That's what they did all season long. And the games where that was taken away from them, i.e., like you said, the Chicago game or in the Super Bowl, they didn't have an adjustment. And I think one thing that you'll see from Sean McVay, think about this. During the course of the season, and like I said, I did I did two of their games, two this year, one last year. They were they lined up in in eleven personnel, three wide receivers. They lined up in that in that set ninety seven percent of the time. And what you saw with the New England Patriots, you know, with all this newfangled offense and all this spread, and all we talk about is we got to get a young innovator, right? Sometimes to be an innovator, you got to go back. You got to take a couple steps back. We saw an offense with the New England Patriots, both in the AFC Championship game and in the Super Bowl, in which they lined up multiple times in two back sets with a fullback and a tight end, or two back sets with two tight ends, or a one back set with two tight ends. They lined up multiple times in heavy personnel. They went back to the 90s style of football. And they basically said, we're going to bludgeon you up front. We're going to slow you down with multiple people you have to get through before you get to our quarterback. And we're going to keep you honest by making you defend the run. One of the very first plays of the game, they whammed the nose guard with the fullback. Earhold him. That's what we're going to do. 
And that way we're going to get double teams across the line of scrimmage, and we're going to make sure that if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us going through multiple blockers, uh, you know, and you're going to beat us by defending our running game. They went back, like, they went backwards. Whereas all these progressive offenses, and I think this is one lesson that Sean McVay will learn. Listen, man, I have got to be able to get out of 11 personnel. I have got to have a system in which when that's not working, that I can change and go to something else. And I think that's the biggest thing that you look at. You know, Mike, it's funny. I've been, you know, played a long time. And one of the things, you know, we always talk talk about halftime adjustments. Like, like, and a lot of people have criticized Sean McVay for not making the proper halftime adjustments. You know what most halftime adjustments are? Eliminating stuff that's not working. Hey, dudes, we're not going to run this, this, or this anymore, right? We're, hey, listen, this, the, our wide zone is not working anymore. Or it, 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 they're stacking it, and they're doing such a good job of, of basically setting an edge so that the flow, that we don't have a legit flow on the cutback lane because the edge gets set before before we can stretch it so when we cut back we're really cutting back into the flow like if that edge wasn't set and it was and it was pushing wider we would get a little bit more width and then we'd have the cutback lane and we wouldn't be getting tackled for a one or two yard gain so that's not working let's eliminate it and let's go to our tight zone or let's go to you know some other play and and i think the issue that you get into is like, when the Rams played from the lead all season long, they were an absolute bitch. But when they didn't have the lead, you know, when they weren't when they weren't orchestrating that way, I mean, they didn't have anything else to, to hang their hat on. And I think what you'll see is the learning curve of saying, man, you can't be so, quote-unquote, one-dimensional when it comes to personnel. We have got to... We've got to be better on that. And I, and I think that's part of the learning curve. And I will tell you this. Sean McVay jumping on that hand grenade, you know, like like falling on the sword for his football team saying, man, I got out coached in this game. Like, you can't believe, one, the level of maturity that that takes, two, what that does for you from a street cred standpoint in your own locker room. Like how much guys want to play for a guy that will will basically fall on that fall on the sword like that. I, I think that's I think that's huge. I think this has been a this will end up being one of the most valuable life lessons and coaching lessons that Sean McVay has ever gone through. All this talk about coaching, you and I always go back and forth on this one. I always believe that when it comes to the NFL, coaching matters, players matter more. Mm-hmm. But in the case of what happened on Sunday, I, I've never heard so much praise thrown at a coach like has been thrown at Bill Belichick to the point where the 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 idea, the theme seems to be Bill Belichick won that game on Sunday. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think one, he deserves a lot of praise. And he deserves, and some of it is a lifetime achievement award, although that game was great. We took one of the most prolific offenses in, in football and held them to three points. So so that part was that part was pretty remarkable, Mike. Um, you know, and, and part of that is the lack of adjustments by Sean McVay. I mean, uh, the Rams the Rams basically couldn't run the ball. They couldn't get out of their own way. The the whole Todd Gurley stuff was was curious. Um you know, was curious at, at what was going on there. 
And and so all that stuff, coupled with the fact that uh, the New England Patriots were able to shut you down without having to commit extra defenders to the box. So, you know, normally what you end up getting is you get a lot of man coverage because the Rams are so committed to running the football that you have to bring an extra defender down, and therefore you're getting, you know, a ton of cover one. And the Rams never consistently ran the football so the Patriots could could play a two-high-safety set behind it. And they didn't have to commit to that. So they played some some zone stuff and, and you know, a lot more than they normally have. I think they were one of the highest uh, man coverage teams in football over the course of the regular season. And they played, you know, the majority of their stuff was some form of, of zone coverage. Even when they were locking Gilmore up on Cooks, it was still – you know, for the most part, zone everywhere else. So I, you know, I think you look at what they what they were able to accomplish in game planning, you know, and strategic game planning, and that was great. And, and there's no question about it. But you know, there's part of me that looks at it like, hey, that's a really good game plan. But the fact that you never adjusted as an offense, like I can't believe an offensive line that was as good as the Rams. I mean, do you remember the article that I scoffed at a couple of weeks ago when they said the Rams is the best best run-blocking offensive line in the history of the league? Remember that? Mm-hmm. Was it a pro football focus or some? I don't know what it was. It was some crap article that I just laughed at. But they have been good all season long. And the fact that you played a game where you walked up linebackers and basically made a man coverage everything, or excuse me, man zone everything across the across the line of scrimmage, and the Patriots ran a bunch of pick stunts. It was almost like you had never seen it before. It was almost like they didn't do it against Kansas City. Like I don't, I don't know what you prepared for, and I don't know why you couldn't adjust to what they were doing. But um, it was, it was shockingly bad. I mean, shockingly bad against one of the, the the offensive lines that had been praised for being, you know, one of the best of the season. That 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 was to me again your pure lack of lack of kind of awareness or lack of adjustment um, was probably the most shocking part of this game to me. You know, whether it's coaching players, we can we can have that debate till the the end of time. But this this year's Patriots team, what they did was remarkable to me because watching that team throughout the course of the season defensively, I, I, you and I talked about it. I kept watching that team. It, they, looked, they looked older. They looked slow. Uh, they looked very, very vulnerable on defense. And to see them at the end shutting out Kansas City for the first half of their game, shutting down the Rams for just three points, I never, ever would have imagined that. And then offensively, a team that just seemed to be lacking explosiveness, lacking toughness, all kinds of questions about Brady, to them literally changing their stripes as an offense their last two games of the regular season, determined to go out against bad teams like Buffalo and the Jets and really establish a mindset of running the football and tough physical football and then being able to take that into the playoffs and Mm. continuing that against the Chargers, Chiefs, and Rams – to, to do all of that on the fly, even by Patriot standards, I think is pretty remarkable. It is, and I think, you know, it's it's interesting, Mike, you bring that up. Think about this. They finished the, the season through the playoffs playing the Chargers, the Chiefs, and, and then the Rams, three of the best pass-rushing units in all of football, 
I think the Chiefs were tied for the league lead in sacks. The the Chargers have Ingram and Bosa. I mean, absolute beast edge rushers. And you look at the Super Bowl, they got first the four first rounders across the board with Aaron Donald led the league in sacks with twenty point five. You've got Indomitian Sue, you've got Michael Brockers, and then you've got Dante uh, Fowler. All first rounders. You gave up one sack through the entirety of the playoffs. Mm. Mm. One sack. I mean, that's re- that's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable, and and it just goes to show you. You know, I know that you got to have players, and you do. And I think one of the things that motivates, you know, we came out and we've joked about this a bunch about how this fabricated chip on the Patriots' shoulder about nobody believes in us and, you know, Tom Brady after the AFC Championship game going, we're still here, you know, all that all that stuff. And, and then it, the report comes out, they had all those little slogans and all those little, you know, tidbits that people said nationally and everybody talked about them, like pat, plastered all over their locker room. Smart. You know, it, it's, it, it works. It's a motivating factor. I mean, they're probably pissed off right now that the Chiefs, in Vegas, were were were, you know, had the best Super Bowl odds for next year. I mean, they're going to use it to to motivate themselves, um, and, and that's the way they operate. But again, I keep oh, I always look at at the Patriots and I marvel at the intelligence of the players, how well they're coached, the fact that that they can morph into whatever you need them to be. And think about this: they basically they basically canned what they had done all season long to play a different style of defense in the Super Bowl, and they had one busted coverage. It should have been a touchdown, and Jared Goff was late with it, and McCourty made an unbelievable touchdown-saving effort. That kind of effort. But their players get better as the season goes on. You know, we always watch them in September go 2-2 two and two or whatever, and you're like, oh, this is finally it. You know, the demise is upon us. I'll ask you this. Based on what you've seen of Tom Brady, okay, he's 41 years old. He said there's zero chance that he's going to retire. He said he'd like to play till he's 45. Do you see a decline? Do you think he can still play at the level he has played at for the next, I don't know, three seasons? After this season, after what I saw, not so much in the Super Bowl, but but certainly against the, the Chiefs and the Chargers, yeah, especially if – they're going to continue to be able to play complementary football offensively and, and and stay with this offensive line that's all young and homegrown and and continue to run with guys like Sony Michelle and all that versatility that they have with guys like Burkhead and Devlin and White and and he can sit back and and not have to carry the the kind of load that he's carried for the last probably decade yeah why not I think the, playing quarterback I, from a rocking chair. Right. I think I think the other thing is something that you brought up to me multiple times and I have I have taken from you without giving you the proper credit because you are my intellectual property. Um for those who don't know you and I do a radio show together as well in Denver and I steal from you all the time and part of the contract that you signed, Mike, and this <laughs> is your own fault. That's true. Is that Ah, uh, anything you say becomes instantly my intellectual property. So I've taken this from you, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let you state your own opinion that I have taken and 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 disseminated across national airwaves um, about how Brady essentially protects himself all season long 
until he gets to the playoffs. I'll tell you the game that really stood out for me. They were playing the Titans. I don't remember what week it was, maybe like week 11, 12, something like that. And, I mean, it was a buzzsaw game. You could tell. I mean, they went into Nashville. Titans were fired up. You know, this was like their Super Bowl. Mike Vrabel, the former Patriot, is over there on the other sideline. So is Deion Lewis. So so is Malcolm Butler. And you, you could just tell it was a buzzsaw. And I, I could just see it. Brady was like, really? Do I want to sacrifice my body, stand in there, make throws against this fired-up defense uh, all to to try to get a win in in early December in Nashville. Screw that! I got bigger things to play for. I got the playoffs. I only have so many bullets to fire. I'm gonna save it and I'm gonna pace myself and I'm gonna be ready for when the games matter the most. And I, I saw that this season. I think he was sort of playing a little possum, keeping some things in reserve, and waiting until the games mattered the most. And I could see, I guarantee you he'll do that again next year. There will be those games where you'll watch him play and you'll be like, what's the matter with him? And I think it'll just be, eh, not today. I'm I'm not going to risk anything today. It's not worth it. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I remember, you know, the, the years that we had Peyton Manning, we were blessed to have Peyton Manning here play in Denver. And the times where he would just, like, self-sack. He'd fold up like a piece of origami, you know, just like, swan. And he'd fall down, you know, <laughs> and they'd just be like, what are you doing? And all of a sudden it's third down and 18. Then he just cuts you up on third and 18. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to get, I'm not taking that hit. I don't, yeah, I don't really feel like it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have taken plenty over the course of my career. So I'm good right now. And I think you're a hundred percent right. You know, when you first presented that to me, I thought, I, I just was like, oh gosh, Mike, here we go. One of your stupid theories. And, <laughs> Wait a minute. You didn't say that at the time. Now I'm kind of hurt. Well, I, I in my head, that's why I didn't yeah. say it verbally. Yeah. I mean, come on. I don't tell you exactly what I'm thinking. Come on, but, I, I, I get this. I get yeah, thick skin. Uh, so I was just like, oh, this is so dumb. And then the more I thought about it, the more I said, you know what? I'm going to adopt that as my own theory <laughs> because I think it's actually right. It was just a lot like what Peyton Manning used to do all the time. And listen, Tom Brady is fearless. Tom Brady will stare in the gum, you know, stare down the gum barrel and take one of the chops to deliver one in the championship game if he needs to. But he's he he, he is fearless, but he's not stupid. Like he he knows the end game here. The end game for him is is winning a Super Bowl, and and everything else is is unacceptable. You know, I love the story that came out last week about the linebacker Brandon Spikes in 2012 after he didn't get elected to the Pro Bowl. And he's he's moping around and he's upset about not being a Pro Bowl player, you know. And everybody's like rallied around his locker, consoling him, like, "Hey, man, you got screwed. You know, you can't do anything about it. Don't worry about it." And Tom Brady comes up to him and says, "He goes, pick your head up. He goes, you think I, I, I you think I do this shit to to go to Pro Bowls? You know, it's not what we're here for. We win Super Bowls. That's what we're doing." Pro Bowls don't mean jack squat to me. Like, that's that to me was like, what a great story. Like, that's who the guy is, and that's what he's here for. And, you know, if it means, you know, if it means the overall scheme of things, like we're getting beat up and um, and they're coming after me and, and I'm taking too many shots today, all right, we may drop one. But this is all about, this is all about winning a championship to me. And let's face it. They've been there nine times, and and they've won they've won six of them. It's remarkable. So, you clearly love talking about this game. 
you love the X's and O's. You you love the matchups. You you mm-hmm. love the the chess playing back and forth. So, what's your reaction when you see that it was the lowest rated Super Bowl in the last decade? Well, I mean, I, I think there's I think there's like four legitimate reasons. I think one trumps them all. But you know, you can sit there and say, well, people had patriot fatigue. Like that's one theory I've heard, Mike. But come on, right? I mean, didn't you either watch it because you hate the Patriots or you watched it because you love the Patriots? So I don't think that one really holds water. Um, the Los Angeles, come on, who's really, like, how dialed in are people in L.A. to watch this game? Good point. Right? I mean, they get together. You know, They're doing whatever. They're, 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 they, you can't really watch a game when you got a fondue pot you got to take care of, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, like, that is so California cliche. Right. right there. They're like, oh, this Jesus. Talk about dishes. feeding stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, and then, you know, the people in St. Louis are ticked off or the people in New Orleans. Are, right. uh, oh, yeah. You're right. Probably the whole state of Louisiana tuned right. out. Yeah. But let's face it. It really comes down to what we've created. And we've, we, the NFL's created it. The NFL has created a league in which every rule is bent toward the offensive player having success, and we have grown accustomed to the fantasy football aspect of, of you know, watching the NFL. We've got our, our, our you know, little fantasy computers up, and we, we want to see numbers, and we want to see offense, and then all of a sudden a defensive struggle breaks out, and you're like, what is this game I'm watching? I have, uh, I've never seen it before. You know, and we can't, we don't have the attention span. To, to actually watch line of scrimmage, you know, the the mastery of the line of scrimmage. And we don't have enough patience to watch great defensive plays and great third-down defense where defensive backs, uh, you know, like don't touch a receiver and wrap around and knock the ball down with the opposite hand. And we're like, wait a minute, I wanted to see a first down there. Like it really is more than anything else. It's the fact that there was no offense. And that the and that it, you got bored with it. Yeah, no, that's easily the biggest op- the biggest reason. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was a three three game into the fourth quarter, and nobody was maybe if maybe if we went into this game with the understanding it would be a defensive struggle, then people would be conditioned for it. But people were expecting the over under was fifty fifty one fifty three points, so right. people were expecting a high flying shootout. And instead, it, they look up, it's 3-3. They've just come off a halftime show that nobody seems to have liked. And there was just this th- th- this overall sense of just, ugh, that's, this is all right. we're getting? So I think I think that's the biggest reason. I mean, look, I, you could have still had the Patriots involved in the Super Bowl, and if it was a 40-37 to game, people would have been you oh, know, locked in. Yeah, people are dialed in. I, I'm 100% with you on that. I think the other thing um, – you know the other thing that you would you would look at in in regards to the ratings is um, no offense, and we've cultivated this this generation of football fans. We've taken guys like you and me, guys that grew up, um, you know, watching the game, and 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 the NFL has basically said to you, "Hey, thanks for your service. We really appreciate <laughs> you watching this game for forty years. We don't really give a crap anymore because what we've done is we've cultivated a whole new generation of football fans that grew up on fantasy football and right. clicking on their computers right. and playing Madden. Right. And we want the game to look as much like Madden as possible, yeah. right? Yeah. And and that's what they done now here's the issue and this is what they're going to have to look at mike the officiating is completely different and it always has been from the regular season to the playoffs and they get in the playoffs and they are directed by the national football league to let them play 
And I guarantee you there are hits on the quarterback in that Super Bowl on both sides that were flags during the regular season that weren't flagged. There are PIs that weren't flagged, that would have been flagged in the regular season, that weren't flagged in that game. And so if you really want it to to match what we've got in the regular season and you really want it to be the offensive, you know, wizardry. Now, I, I like the way they call it in the playoff. Don't get me wrong. I think that's the way the game should be called. I think you should, you know, quarterbacks are, should be getting hit. And I, I, I believe they shouldn't be as protected as they are. And I, so I believe in all that stuff. But if you really want to service the, the, the service, the, the fans that you've cultivated, then you better have the same officiating in the regular season that you do in the playoffs. And that's something that the league needs to really look at. All right. Well, it was, uh, it was a memorable Super Bowl for the fact that, uh, the Patriots once again make history, and the Rams. I think you're right. The Rams will be better for this. They'll come back. They'll be they'll be better. McVay will be better. Golf will be better, and uh, it it kicks us off now into what should be another fascinating regular uh, off season. Because as fun as the football season is, uh, some people believe, and I can't really argue with them, that the off season might be more fun and more interesting. So we'll start diving into that. The off season is great. Oh, it's a, this is. Uh... This is just the world's greatest soap opera, the NFL. And you would know, soap operas. Um, I know a thing or two about a thing or two when it comes to soap <laughs> operas, Mike. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, you do. For everybody involved in this show. Man, for you, thank you so much. For Scott the Huff, thank you, buddy. We appreciate you. For the great presenting sponsor that is our friends at Cool Water, thank you guys for uh bringing this podcast to you free of charge. Please uh, make sure you spread this around and uh, share it with your friends. Um, If you love it, tell everybody. If you don't like it, keep your damn mouth shut. (laughs) For everybody involved, thank you so much. We appreciate you. We'll be back with you later on in the week. The Stinkin' Truth Podcast presented by Core Water. Subscribe to the Stinkin' Truth Podcast via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and plenty of other podcast platforms.